Is it right to make a distinction between clergy and laity in different divisions of the body of Christ? Are clergy the only ones who should be referred to as ministers? Or is every true believer a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ? Find out on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Is it right to make a distinction between clergy and laity in the body of Christ, or is that a man-made term that gives people a false impression of a sense of inferiority? Where did the term laity even come from? It's certainly not found in the Bible. I could not actually trace the exact origin of the word, but I do know it was reinforced during the Second Vatican Council that took place from 1962 to 1965. And let me read from one of the documents uh, recorded from the Second Vatican Council. It says, the term laity is here understood to mean all the faithful except those in holy orders and those in the state of religious life specially approved by the church. So what are holy orders? That is a certain distinction within Catholicism of those who are either nuns or monks or priests or in higher levels of authority like bishops and cardinals. They are referred to as clergy, but the common believers are referred to as laity. In fact, the word laity means common people. But I would dare to say that All who are born again and washed in the blood have an uncommon relationship with God and an uncommon blessed ability to represent God in this world. Hopefully, by the help of God, I'm going to demolish that idea, that false idea of a division between the two groups and convince you that every true believer, every born again child of the Almighty God is qualified by God to be a minister. And remember, God doesn't always call the qualified, but he always qualifies the called. And if you have been saved, if you have been brought into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are qualified to represent him in this world on one level or another, but certainly you can increase your ability, you can increase your effectiveness, you can increase your uh, ability to flow in your giftedness, but still, from the beginning of being saved, you should be reaching out and impacting the world around you. Now, let me prove that to you scripturally. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 6. This is actually a prophecy of the new covenant era. And God says, you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Of course, within Catholicism, there's an exclusive priesthood. 
meaning that there's a set designated group who are referred to as priests who have the authority to do certain things within the church, but common Catholics uh, do not have that authority and are not ordinarily referred to as priests. However, in the Bible, all believers are priests. 1 Peter 2.5 refers to us as a holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 refers to every single child of God as being part of a royal priesthood. And the word priest simply means one who has access into the presence of God, to minister to him and to be empowered to minister to others. So you're all priests. If you're saved, you're a priest of God. Now you can dedicate and consecrate yourself to become more effective in that calling, but that happens coincidental with the very act of birthing you into the kingdom. When God brings you, translates you into the kingdom of God's dear son, automatically, immediately, you obtain the status of being a priest. And a priest is a minister scripturally. Isaiah 61, 6 in the modern English version says, you shall be named the priests of the Lord, the priests of Yahweh. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Now, who's he referring to? And how did God build up to this statement? Let's go all the way back to the beginning of Isaiah 61. It's a beautiful chapter. In fact, it's the very chapter that Jesus read from when he announced his ministry in the synagogue at Nazareth. He started out with verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then Jesus closed the book, the Bible said, but actually he rolled up the scroll and said, this day these words are fulfilled in your ears. And so he was anointed to proclaim the gospel and introduce the kingdom of God into this world. And he said that he would do this in order to heal the brokenhearted. These are the candidates for ministry in God's estimation. If you've been broken by life, destroyed by circumstances, overwhelmed with a sense of guilt or recognition of your own failures, damaged by other people, just about destroyed by bad decisions, you're qualifying for ministry because you've learned how to recover from those things through the promises of God, through accepting the Lordship of Jesus and applying his word to your life. Now, this is the beginning of a six-verse passage that ends with the proclamation that you are the minister of God if you're saved. So let's continue with this. What's, now, that's as far as Jesus quoted. However, there's a continuation of thought in the next few verses. For instance, verse 3 says, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, 
that he may be glorified. And then the next verse leads up to verse 6 that says, You shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Who's being referred to? Those who have received beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so if you can look back in your past and see the ashes of burnt and destroyed hopes and dreams, if you have mourned the loss of those hopes and dreams, if you have received the oil of joy in its place, and the garments of praise in its place. You've learned how to climb out of the destruction and commit to God and live a life of praise to him. You have a story to tell. And not only can you tell it, you can administer it to others. That's why God said, you shall be called the ministers of our God. Now, the word, the Hebrew word that is translated ministers there is sharath, and that is also translated serve and servant. So get that in your thinking that a minister is not someone above others, but below others. It's the inverted pyramid of leadership where you become a servant to others. Well, Jesus talked about that. Let me share with you Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 and 26. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister." And the word translated minister is diaconus. And that's also translated servant. Once again, that's the emphasis. And the next two verses say, Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. That's the word doulos. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. There's two rich ideas that come out of that statement. Number one, Jesus did not come to be ministered to, but the Bible says that he was ministered to by the women that that helped uh, the disciples as they journeyed from one place to another. They ministered to him of their substance, their abilities, which probably meant just taking care of certain natural tasks like cooking. And that can be ministry if you make it an act of ministry. You should take mundane things in your life and infuse it with prayerfulness to God and love for others and something common and ordinary becomes extraordinary and uncommon because you turn it into a ministry moment. You can turn lots of things into ministry moments, even like washing the dishes or doing the clothes or mowing the yard, if you do it with a heart of worshipfulness toward God and service toward others. Think about that. Turn things that are mundane into ministry moments. Anyway, and and there was a point too where angels came and ministered to Jesus. And that 
is really difficult for me to wrap my mind around. After he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days, the Bible says that angels came and ministered to him. Well, how did they do that? And what did they do? What could angels do for the Son of God that would supply any kind of need in his life? He'd been tormented. He'd been tempted by the devil for 40 days, and he had overcome the devil. What could angels do that could compensate for that 40-day-long journey that was tough, that was um, stressful? Maybe they just loved him. Maybe they just extended worship toward him. Maybe they spoke words of encouragement to him. Maybe they revealed things about the future from the Father to him. He said, I don't do anything except I see my Father do it first. And maybe the Father used angels to communicate certain facets of that to him so that he received the hope of what would be accomplished by the stressful pressure he was facing. I don't know. I don't know where to draw the line between the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. He was certainly God made manifested in the flesh, and yet he imposed certain limitations on himself. So I'm not proposing to explain exactly how they did it, but angels ministered to him. Think of that. So he didn't come to be ministered to, but that did not make it wrong for him to receive ministry. And in like manner, you and I did not come to this world to be ministered to. But people minister to me all the time. I'll listen to um, a preacher of the Word of God on the internet and get ministered to. That's not my primary focus, though. I'll listen to some great worship song and get teary-eyed and be ministered to, but that's not my focus. Our primary focus should be not what we can get, but what we can give. And that's a fundamental principle that's got to be a guiding light to anyone who would claim this title in your life. You are not a part of the quote-unquote laity. I don't believe there's any such thing. Every born-again believer is a minister, and there's much more proof of that. The second takeaway from Jesus' statement in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. He said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. If you're going to be a minister, you've got to have a ransom mindset or the mindset that you are going to pay a price in your life to walk in intimacy with God that will purchase others through your influence out of the bondage of their enslavement to sin, to the world, to satanic things in their lives. You're called as a minister to be a ransom for many also. And as you function in it, that's not an unreachable goal. That's a very attainable mark of the calling in your life. Paul said, I'm forgetting those things that are behind. I'm pressing toward those things that are before. I'm reaching for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. And the high calling is the maximum manifestation of your ministry potential. (laughs) This is a great scripture that I'm about to share with you now. 1 Peter 4.10 says, 
as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And the word manifold means it manifests in a variety of ways. Listen, don't pattern yourself after someone else. If, if you are a duplicate of someone else who functions in ministry, one of you is unnecessary. Find your own unique expression of who you are in Christ. You can learn from others. There's great benefit in that, but don't copy others. Don't become a carbon copy of somebody else's gift. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has poured grace into your life to express unmerited love towards you, to rescue you from the world. But grace is not only unmerited love, grace is divinely imparted ability, the ability to be what God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. You have to have grace for that. But once God pours grace into your life, it's like this huge talent of gold that must be invested. Are you investing your gift in other people's lives? Or are you burying your talent? Read Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, and find out how dangerous that can be. Well, how do you discover what your area of giftedness is? This is not the only way to discern it, but this is one way to discern it. Often your gift is in the area of your own deliverance. Think about that. Often your gift is in the area of your own deliverance. Look back in your past, see what God has brought you out of, and then capitalize on that. Recognize it, then capitalize on it in a good way so that you can grow your influence in that particular area. I look back in my past and see how I spent most of my years growing up as a Catholic. And I met many wonderful, gracious, humble nuns and priests and functioned as an altar boy. And there was a certain point where I was actually on my way that day to the monastery to be a monk the rest of my life behind the walls of a monastery, living a cloistered life. Both of my children have told me they're very glad I did not make that decision. But that in itself qualifies me to minister to Catholic people because I understand that whole doctrinal worldview. I understand the sacraments. I understand uh, not only the beliefs, but the practices of the Catholic Church, why they do certain things. And I understand there's many true lovers of God among Catholics. They just need to be taught how to be born again. Many of them are unfamiliar with the term. I was until someone introduced it to me. And then, unfortunately, I spent a season of my life as a rock musician and and had a near-death experience during that time because of drugs. But that qualified me as a teenager. I came right to the portal of death and somehow was turned back. God's grace, God's goodness, I'm sure. But then the first four or five years of my ministry, 
I spoke in drug abuse assemblies all over the country in high schools and junior high schools and colleges and saw over 70,000 young people come to the Lord as a result. It was absolutely incredible. That thought came into my mind of how I could capitalize on something that was sent to destroy me, but then God turned it around and used it as an effective weapon to deliver others. You know, I ask people quite often, how did David slay Goliath? And most people respond with a stone and a sling. I say, no, that's not right. That's not right. David did not kill Goliath with a stone and a sling. He knocked him out. But if you'll read the Bible carefully, he slew Goliath with his own sword. He decapitated the giant. And so the very sword that was intended to destroy David became a weapon in his hands. Then after my near-death experience, it happened again. The weapon passed my hand because the enemy knew I was going to become focused on religious things because I came so close to death. I realized I had to find something eternally enduring, truth that would take me from this world to the next. So I began studying Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Taoism. I became a student of an Indian guru. I eventually became a teacher of yoga at four universities. My testimony is on thetruelight.net, and I urge you to visit that website. And you can download a free book called The Highest Adventure, Encountering God, that tells my story, my conversion story, my transformation story in great detail. It's free right there on thetruelight.net. But see, again, I want to emphasize, yes, I spent years locked inside of what I now recognize was a false approach to religion and spirituality with many wrong doctrines, some commonalities with Christianity that seemed to legitimize it, and yet many, many wrong doctrines concerning the nature of God and the nature of salvation. But having experienced that world from the inside, I am qualified now to reach back. And we have seen thousands. In fact, we've had, what is, I think it's over 4 million hits or almost 4 million hits on our website since its inception. And people from about 200 nations have visited our website and over people from over 100 nations have downloaded my story. It's available there in eight different languages and about to be posted in, in uh, French and the Thai language. So uh, praise God, <laughs> capitalizing on something in the past that was a negative, but now God turns it into a positive. Whenever you meet Jesus at the cross, he turns negatives into positives. Did you get that? All things work together for good to those who love God. And so we're about to open up a new website too called tocatholicswithlove.org where we're going to share things relevant to Catholics about the true experience of being a follower of Jesus. Ephesians 4, 7 says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And so if you are ministering the grace that is in your life, it's been measured to you for a purpose. Second Timothy 1.9 says, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which were given to us 
in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before you got here, God had a ministry mindset concerning your abilities and how he would grant you grace to change the world around you. Now, I don't have time to really explore the next three categories, but I want to mention them. If you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, a minister of God, there's three primary areas that you're called to. Number one is ministry to God. Number two, ministry to the body of Christ. And number three, ministry to the world outside the body of Christ. Every one of you should be actively engaged in ministry in those three areas. If you are included in Isaiah 61, verse 6, you shall be named the ministers of our God. You shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Then you should be found ministering to God, ministering to the body of Christ, and ministering to the world. And if you're not doing those things, explore the possibilities. Examine yourself. See what gifts may be buried in your life. Let me give you scriptures for those three things. In Exodus 30, verse 30, God told Moses to anoint Aaron and his sons to fill the role of the priesthood. Listen to it. God said, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me, God said, as priests or minister to me in the priest's office, another version says. Think of that, that the first and primary function of the priesthood in the days of the old covenant era was to minister to God. Well, how do you do that? How do you minister to God with your attitude, with your worshipfulness, with your inclined heart? focusing on the Word of God, meditating on the promises of God, connected with God constantly in your mind and in your emotions. All of that is ministering to God as his child. And that's your first priority, to minister to him, not just to ask him to do things in your life. When you pray, let your first foundational approach be ministry to God, and then you can ask for things from God. Number two, uh, I would like to take you to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And so we're not just called to minister to God. We're not just called to live a monastic life, a cloistered life behind walls. We're called to minister to others in the body of Christ. Hmm, interesting. So find some kind of function in your church or find some way to invest your life in the lives of those who are God's offspring. And then you're not doing it to them, you're doing it to him. He said, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. That's a very important aspect of ministry. And finally, the third one, no, no, this is also included under number two. Colossians 2.19 says that if we hold the head, Jesus is the head, capital H, of the body, 
from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. And so you have something to give to others in the body of Christ that will cause an increase in their lives, increase of knowledge, increase of wisdom, increase of joy. My wife increases the joy of anybody she comes in contact with. She is a vessel of rejoicing. And depressed people tell me all the time that Elizabeth is such a blessing to me. And that's not insignificant. We think that we should qualify ministry as these great things that are accomplished in massive crowds. But sometimes ministry takes place one-to-one all through your day. So she nourishes the hearts of depressed people with the joy of the Lord. She nourishes the hearts of those who are in despair and discouraged with hopefulness. She's just learned how to do that, and I honor her for it. And in doing so, and she just threw me a kiss. She's on the other side of this camera. Thank you, honey. Uh, She increases people around her with the increase of God. That's what we're all called to do, just like the entire human body functions together. All the systems, nervous system, circulatory system, skeletal system. What if all you had was a nervous system and a muscular system, but no skeletal system? You'd be a blob on the floor. What if you had a skeletal system, but you had no muscular system? You'd be unable to function. All these systems work together, and so it is with the body of Christ. Now, finally, let me share with you that your ultimate goal should be ministry to the world. Figure out today how you can reach out to those who don't know the Lord. It's not optional. If you claim to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be winning the lost. You should be impacting lives. Take time to do it and find ways of doing it. Explore ways that make it possible. Just a day before yesterday, I was involved, or was it yesterday? I don't know. It's all a blur. Uh, I I was taking care of some work at my son's house, and a plumbing company was coming there to install a new water heater. And before the plumbers left, I asked both the young men if they knew the Lord or knew anything about the Lord and went to church, and they both said they were Catholic and hadn't been to church in years. Well, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, they were praying the prayer of salvation with me, receiving Jesus into their hearts and asking for that experience of being born again. I could have just let the plumbers come and go, but I wanted that moment to be consecrated with ministry. Find ways to reach out today and change your world one person at a time. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shree's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. 
We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be. 